Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Come on. Welcome back to Adam. season four. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> that was a trick. You set me up for that. We did. Softball. We're back. It is season four. We're back. Season yeah. four. Season four. That's crazy. With our 391st episode. Season <laughs> Not quite. Four. Not quite. We haven't hit triple digits yet, actually. We're Where 60s. we address the fantasies and fallacies of modern okay. Christian culture with, with conviction, compassion. compassion, and courage. There we go. Conviction and courage. I'm Danny. I'm hosting again a few episodes this season. And as always, we have Pastor Aaron Curran, Pastor thank Adam you, thank Powers. You. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, yeah. That was very Presbyterian applause of you. Oh, that's like this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, that's that's like this. Hey, speaking of Presbyterians, <laughs> we're talking about culture today. Ooh. Oh, my God. So, Let's Tim get into Keller. It. <laughs> yeah. One of the most helpful people on this topic. Throughout the Bible, we find multiple mandates for Christians to be, quote, set apart. And to, quote, not conform to the world, unquote. Yet, as we look to church history and we survey the landscape of Christianity today, the interpretations of these mandates could not be more different. There are Christians who believe there is nothing good to be found in the secular, I don't like that word, world. Not a good <laughs> word. And remove themselves from it. While there are Christians who live in a way that cannot be distinguished from an unbeliever. And as the pressures of culture become increasingly more hostile, are they increasingly or have they always been terrible? Anyway, we are left with the question. Ebbs and flows. We are left with this question. Should we, as the people of God, followers of Christ, redeem or reject culture? What a question. What a great kickoff to season four. Cuatro? Yeah. Cuatro? Cinco. Just kidding. <laughs> you guys really turn the energy up for this. Yeah, yeah. This hey, we're ready. Episode. We are ready. We are ready. Oh. Power's got his Slytherin mug over here, so you know his answer on culture. Yeah. Do what it takes. Yeah. Do what it takes. <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes All to right. take over the okay, world. Okay, well, let's start. And you don't think that the pressures of culture are getting more increasingly hostile? No, I think they are today. They probably are. Yeah. But it, but it ups and flows. Yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just busting yeah. chops right now. Okay. I'm just busting yeah. chops. I was yeah. curious. You yeah. just threw that out there. Curiosities. Okay. Well, let's just start from Scripture. What examples do we have from Scripture of redeeming or rejecting culture? Ooh. That was not where I was expecting this to begin. Hmm. Let's well, see. Can I begin somewhere begin? else? Sure. Yeah, Can I take ahead. your question and... Say, hold on. Uh, and, I'll, yeah. and I'll answer your Bible question here in a second. He's going he's to answer from a cultural perspective. I'll answer from a scriptural perspective. Oh. Let's go. Yeah. So <laughs> showing your hand. It is. It is good. Goodness gracious. It is good to remember when we answer this question that we're not the first to ask it. Mm-hmm. And we're not the first to answer it. This is a question that Christians have asked as long as there have been Christians. Right. How do we engage with the culture around us? And there is an extremely helpful book uh, that was written in the 1950s, not that there wasn't any good answers to this question before 1950s, but Richard Niebuhr is his name. His brother Reinhold and him were German. His first name was Reinhold. His brother, Reinhold Niebuhr. Wow. 
Yeah, name. his right, brother, ahead, Richard, very common in Germany, I guess, in the 1950s. But they both uh, grew up in Texas. Ironically, they moved here as kids. Anyway, he wrote a book called Christ and Culture that why I bring it up, um, Christians asking and answering this all throughout church history is because he is one of the foundational scholars and professors on this very topic and engaging the world. And he summarized the history of the church in a way that I think until him, no one has really done in as helpful a moment. So he gave five positions that the church has historically taken. And everyone who asked this question since this book, I think if they're going to engage this question in an honest and a critical and thoughtful way, they have to interact with these five options. They are Christ against culture, as you can see, is the very opposition. Like these are they do, it's like oil and water, right? They are incompatible, I think is the key word. Then you have Christ of culture, which there's no incompatibility there. There's nothing but compatibility with Christ and culture. Those are the two, I think, polar ends of the spectrum. Most Christians are not found on those polar opposite minority positions. Rather, the majority are found in the middle. And these other three positions are this, Christ above culture, Christ in culture in paradox, meaning, and I think there's truth to all three of these middle positions, the Christ above is a Christ reigns above culture, Christ and culture in paradox, meaning that these two things are real and kind of overlapping in certain ways. And then there's the one that I think the majority of Christians have been on. I know you're there. A majority of myself is there too, though I find myself being tugged between these middle three quite a bit. Christ transforming culture. Mm. So that's the historic five positions that Christians have been in. And they've arrived at those positions because a lot of the Bible pushes them in yeah. certain ways. So knowing those five, throw it over to scripture. Yeah. So I mean, actually, it's, it's really helpful. And I appreciate yeah. you so much. You're just such a gift, man. You're <laughs> such a gift. Um, he does his homework. No, because I honestly, right that does that hand. does help to kind of establish a context of it does. any Christian out there is going to land in one of those five categories. And like Power said, the first and the second one are going to be quite extreme. And mm -hmm. I would say typically only bias is going to lead you to one of those. Because mm -hmm. the second one, Christ becomes indistinguishable from. Yeah. It's just a cultural Christ. One it's, of them's super fundamentalist Christ against the, against the, the other, other super one, liberal. The other one, you're not even consistent. I've never met anybody who's consistent not in the first one. Christian. Where it's like, where it's like, we are so anti-culture. We don't do, yep. But you still engage in different ways. Like they're right. okay for you. So, um, unless mm. you're like Amish, you know, or something like that. So. Which is where a lot of that position is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yoder, John Yoder was one of the founders of that view. Well, modern he, day. He sounds Amish. So, <laughs> <Yes>. um, so, <laughs> So I go Old Testament, New Testament. And there's a couple of places I'll go. Yeah, yeah. New, New Testament, the classic, it's one of my favorite, is Acts 17. Mm. Paul Marcel in Athens, mm. he quotes the philosophers of his day. He quotes a poem written about Zeus, most likely. He speaks in a language they understand without ever compromising scripture. Yeah. But he, his message in Athens there is different. The content of it is not different. Like the gospel is still there. Repent and believe in Jesus mm -hmm. and the resurrected Christ. And But, you know, I, I mean, I love everything about it. Men of Athens, as I toured your town, I could tell that you were very religious. Like he's, he's, not, he's not demeaning to them. At least it doesn't seem like it. Uh, he is kind. He is articulate. He meets them where they are. And then he takes them to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is 
a classic example of how evangelism is supposed to work contextually in engaging the culture and redeeming. Mm. So there are cards on the table. I'm a big, if it is not expressly sin, everything should be redeemed in culture or we are free to utilize everything in culture. So you just said yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, we and redeem I, it. So we Old Testament, okay. I take it back to uh, the Babylonian captivity. And that's where I would go. Jeremiah 29. And just the book of Daniel too, where where the the Hebrews are led away, the Jewish nobility led away. And that the, the command by God is to learn the ways and the literature of the culture of Babylon so that they can interact with the culture and with the people of the city in such a way that beauty would be pushed forward and the people would say, where is that beauty coming from? Mm. Mm. And where is that beauty coming from? And the only answer can be from Yahweh. And so to me, I'm going, that is so in the antithesis of how so many Christians live, but we're supposed to be looking in and pursuing social justice is not a bad thing. We talked about it. True social justice. We should be looking for true justice for true. We're reading a book right now in our home group, amazing book called Rembrandt's in the wind. And he just, he argues that it's not just about truth and goodness in the world. It's also about beauty. Like those mm. three things form uh, an understanding of God that are indispensable. Those are the historical virtues yeah, and philosophy. Exactly. Truth, yes. goodness, and beauty. Yep. yep. And so I'm like, yeah. we should be we should be championing that because all true truth, goodness, and beauty is from God mm. and is ultimately about God. And when we do that well, like they did in, in the book of Daniel and like Paul did on Mars Hill in Acts 17, it causes the inquisitive mind. Granted, the Holy Spirit still has to come and work, right? Regeneration has to take place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it causes the inquisitive mind through the graciousness of God and the work of the Spirit to say, where is that truth, goodness, and beauty coming from? Mm. And so we're not, we're not trying to redeem that which is sinful right. at all. We're not, we're not trying to beautify that which is evil. Mm. That's impossible to do. But we are taking the good gifts that God has given us. The culture oftentimes has twisted and demonized, and we are redeeming them, and we're utilizing them to push for God's truth, goodness, and beauty in the world so that people, by the grace of God, can take note and say, mm. like, like Nebuchadnezzar did, hey, where's this coming from? And it's coming from Yahweh. That's mm. so compelling. Yeah. That's so compelling. You know why, this is why Tolkien wrote his Middle Earth yeah. legendarium. What, once, sometime, once it was real famous and he was uh, really well known during his older life, someone said, why did you write all these things? And he said, I long to find the place where all the beauty came from. Yeah. So if you read them with that bent, you'll see a lot of the beauty. Well, so many of the guys we intended. love. And, yeah. and Bunyan. Yeah. And Lewis mm. and Tolkien and Milton and, you know, the poets and the artists and the, like, that's what they're doing. Aquinas did this. Yeah, Aqu yeah Aquinas. I mean, you're just Ansel, looking at it. Augustine, and, just keep and, going. And so, and so here's, here's what I would just say, like, Almost everybody we read after and quote in the reformed world was, these are broad strokes, okay, so bear with me, was a Puritan, not a separatist. So when you, when you look back mm -hmm. at, you know, old England 400 years ago, there were two distinct groups of Protestants there. There were the separatists, of which we know hardly any of their names, you know. There are reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are reasons for that. <laughs> but they were completely separated from culture. They rejected mm -hmm. culture completely. Yeah. All the ones we know, Bunyan, Newton, Wilberforce go down the list. We're all Puritans. They looked at the Church of England and they even, I would argue, looked at the culture if you like read the writings and said, what can we take and redeem and right. purify so that the beauty of God can go forward instead of just yeah. separating completely and rejecting everything. Yeah. And so those are great examples from church history. I think we have good biblical examples of that, not just in Daniel and in Acts, but elsewhere. And I just think that's what we're called to. 
And there's a lot of practicality that we can flesh out of that. But that's, I think Christians are called to, to put as foremost what the world has twisted and made undignified to redeem and to say, hey, this is the, the beauty of God and the goodness of Christ. And we're going we're to push this forward so that people may know. That's really good. Yeah. There's no evangelism. There's no influence if you're yeah. completely isolated. Yeah. Um, so yeah. if we were to take a look at the landscape of Christianity today, and let's just say Christianity today in America, because obviously... The United States? Yeah, in the United or States. Or are you mentioning Canada too? No, let's just keep America's it to the hat. USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say? America's hat? <laughs> just got canceled in Canada right then. I can't. Hopefully we don't have any Canada we listeners. We do have Canada listeners. Oh. Love you guys. I'm totally kidding. At sunrise, totally we have kidding. a bunch too. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are right, on hinge. The caffeine is hit. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> so what would you say do you see from most churches in America? Do you see more of a tendency to reject culture or to redeem culture or a third option? I see a lot of confusion, mm. by and large. And I don't think, I don't think once again, we've talked about before, I think in theory, especially across the reformed world, I mean, it depends on where you go. So G3 reformed world is very different from like Acts 29 reformed world mm. as far as contextualization. Or the gospel or, coalition. Or the gospel coalition or, you know, any of that. So like, but I think that by and large, most of the reformed world is going to land in one of those three, four, or five of of Christ in yeah. culture, Christ over culture, Christ engaging with culture, Christ redeeming culture, you know. Yeah. But the practicality of that is going to look wildly different. And that's where I think the confusion comes in. It is, is, okay, well, how do we actually do that? Like, how do, how do we, without compromising, how do we actually do that? And so it's easier to just not to engage with, because when you engage with, you're going to be accused of compromise for sure by somebody. Or you'll just be called liberal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or you might actually compromise. You know, and so actually doing it, I think that's what I mean by the confusion. Everybody has their position and their stance and like they think they're doing whatever, but doing it is difficult. Like engaging with culture and seeking to transform culture is much more muddied and difficult. And so that's why I say I look across Christianity and I see confusion because a lot of people would say they're just trying to engage with culture and yet they're compromising. Mm-hmm. They're, they, they want they want actually speak the whole counsel of God. Like they want, they want mention sin they won't mention repentance anymore they don't mention yeah. the cross substitutionary right. atonement's a bad word like yeah. like and so, and so yeah they're gone. they're compromising that even though they would say they're not they would say oh we're still biblical people and we're just mm-hmm. engaging the culture and then you have other people who are like we're engaging the culture and yet they're not at all engaging the culture like they they know nothing is going on they think young people still listen to oprah um and uh <laughs> right who would in their right mind think that uh no i'm joking so but, listen to our episode <laughs> on advice to young christians to get on the inside of that yeah. joke um that's awesome. But that's what I mean is like the practicality of it, I think, is very muddied and confusing for people of mm. how to do it, not the not, not their position. That's true. Yeah, there's confusion is a good term. I might put there's just a widespread practice of this. Most of the churches in the United States are about transforming the culture. Like most, like 95% are about transforming culture, but some look a lot more antagonistic toward culture and some look a lot more welcoming of it. I think the most healthy perspective looks a little bit more welcoming than it does negative simply because the negative folks, I think that are probably more in like the G3 world, in the reformed world, at least look a little bit more confining and legalistic. I call them anti-visionary. 
and I'm not saying G3, I'm just saying those types of people where they're always against something and they're never right. for something. All, all the people that are more against culture, you can look at them immediately and, and know what they don't like. Mm. And the people that are kind of more welcoming and wanting to redeem and transform a lot of culture, I'd say like the Tim Kellers, like the Gospel Coalitions, like a lot of Acts 29, you can see them and you'll immediately be thinking of things that they're for. Mm. Yeah. And so those are different postures of heart and their churches look incredibly way, way different. different. Yeah. They look welcoming and rigid mm. and things like this. And so it's, um, that's, I think what I see. Or compromised world. and faithful, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, so, true. You know, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the bias and the perspective is, yeah. is important, but I think that um, yeah. you can be more like cautionary around culture and still be welcoming and loving. And so we're not saying that. And you can certainly um, be more engaging with and accepting of and transforming of culture um, without compromising and without being, you know, liberal. But trying to walk that ground for churches and for Christians is just difficult. Yeah. And it takes an awareness of how the church throughout history has answered this question mm. to not do it in like a bubble. Like we're doing this in the only way possible. No, there are different options to do this. Some look, depending on the cultural climate, some of these options we went through earlier are more effective and some of them are not. And some you just right away throw away and some you're like, we should probably embrace a few of these not just we don't fit in just one of these. I would say in answer to your question, by and large, vast majority of like decent gospel-centered churches are doing it well in some realms and bad in others. And I think that's probably us. Oh, that's yeah. probably you. Like we're, sure. we're failing in some For areas sure. There's, yeah. so we don't understand or we're mm-hmm. like scared to tap into that. And then we're doing really well in others. And I think that's where we kind of find ourselves in this dance of, and that's why like brotherhood and camaraderie and communication and, mm-hmm. and scoping these things out is important because, you know, it's a difficult dance to like, try to engage with what can become toxic and evil. And it's not necessarily, culture is not necessarily toxic and evil, but can be led that way. Yeah. And so I say that's the answer to the question is by and large, I got no answers here, just the questions themselves. <laughs> um, but cheat yeah. off of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess being in communications and social media for our church, I see a lot of churches that are trying to be in the culture so much in the sense of just trying to look cool and like appear a certain way. And like, I guess that's not necessarily wrong and you want to adjust according yeah, to the times. That's not wrong. But I mean, it can become sin if you're putting all of your emphasis on mm-hmm. those things, Keeping right? Up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because and your not. events and yeah. your writing songs yeah. that keep up with the trends and like trying to be like Hollywood or like, yeah. you know, things like that. Because it's not necessarily sin. But that's yeah. a, a and thin then line. I think there might be some like actual footage episodes we're gonna get into, right? And like me, I think I think like Maverick City playing at the Grammys. You talked about like, oh, talking about something yeah. like that, where yeah. it's like you're gonna have very different perspectives, even within our world. Maybe even here at this table on mm. that. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, maybe very let's, different. Should we pers- talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. I, tell well, us. Tell so us the. the I didn't skinny. watch, so give us the. I didn't watch either. Yeah. Okay, so we're recording on. February 9th, so this past weekend, the Grammys occurred, and the popular worship group Maverick City Mm. Music performed with a rapper named Quavo, Mm -hmm. who's a part of a rapper group called Migos, very unbelieving, non-Christian, you know, the most worldly rap music you could think of, obviously. So it kind of made Christian headlines of this worship group performing alongside 
someone who's very non-supportive of mm-hmm. Christianity and his worldview is completely different than that. And it was a tribute to one of the members of the rapper group that was killed. But still, people were very confused. Christians that supported the music group were very confused why they would partner themselves a alongside sim- similar, someone like that. As you're saying that, a similar episode is when Lauren Daigle went and sang on Ellen's show, mm. um, which was a year or two ago. Really? Yeah. And and the Christian community kind of lost their minds mm. on that um, <laughs> because of the LGBT significance and just mm. the cultural, the anti-Christ cultural yeah. influence of Ellen DeGeneres. Overt. Uh, yeah, very overt. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, tell us, Powers. Well, I would land that that's probably not the wisest move for Maverick City or for Lauren Daigle. Not bringing into question the validity and legitimateness of what they're doing, because that might be dubious. Right. From my opinion anyway. But to me, to such visibly partner with that type of movement publicly looks like compromise to me. But those individual hearts might really be engaged right now in conversations we don't know of with all these people. And there really might be gospel, healthy, gospel, robust conversations that are happening behind the scenes that led to something like this that we don't know about and probably will never know about. So Mm -hmm. we can't read the hearts of individuals, but we can, I think, discern what is wise and what's perhaps not so wise. I don't think something like that's wise because it gives the public display of agreement and approval, which there are things I don't do publicly so that our church is not confused. Mm. And that I, I think is a similar thing like that. Yeah. Agree or disagree? Um, I think it's awesome. Disagree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I do understand that anytime we we do anything in conjunction with unbelievers, especially unbelievers who are very anti the gospel and that the perception can be that we're in agreement with them. I think that's where the compromise comes in. If Lauren Daigle has to say, I completely agree with the LGBT stance of this show. Which in so an like, interview she did. Okay, well, that, and that's beside the yeah. point. Like, you know, that's beside the point. And right. I think right. she backtracked on it. And anyway, that's Lauren Daigle has oh, to answer to Jesus. Uh, okay. From what I know. That's good. Okay. Um, yeah. Or if Maverick City has to say, hey, we agree with the morals and uh, mm. the worldview of Migos. LaQuay or whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't listen to that. Um, like, so I'll just say this. I mean, Maverick City played only because Building 28 was invited and we couldn't come, um, our worship band. <laughs> you know, so, uh, no, no, but After honestly, yeah, sunrise. no, but like, if you put yourself in that context, if Building 28 was invited to play at like a big award show like that, alongside an unbeliever, for me, and this is just me and not everybody's going to agree. For me, I would say, what are we seeing? What are we playing? What is that rapper going to be saying? And we would probably come out with a statement saying, we love this individual. We pray for this individual. We have a different worldview than this individual, but that does not mean that we hate this individual. And we're honored to make beauty and art in the culture to reflect the image of the God that we love and serve. Mm. That, that's how I would approach it. Which such a statement would probably be- That'd be res- helpful if Maverick met, City would do something like that. Met with, with okay, you're not going to play with It that. might be, but I think that's where yeah. my conscience would take Maverick me. Maverick City should do that. You don't have to be like, oh, they're terrible and they're like going to hell. No, you don't have to. Just, yeah. just saying, hey, we don't, have, we don't share the same worldview, but like I would believe that the rapper is blindly aiming for the same thing that we are 
open-eyed by the Holy Spirit aiming for, and that is beauty and the reclamation of truth. And the, But he's missing the point. He's missing the mark of that. Yeah. He's shooting too low. Yeah, he's shooting too low. He's settling he's shooting for the wrong direction. lesser pleasures. Yeah, yeah. For, for making mud pies in the slums Amen. instead of a day at the beach like Lewis says. Amen. And so, so for me, like, if Ellen DeGeneres called me up tomorrow and said, hey, we'd love for you to come on the show and... And, oh, I'd say yes in a heartbeat. And say your opinions. And I'm like, I'm like, I can say whatever I want. And yeah, we're, but we're gonna have like this anti-theist beside you who's also saying their opinions. Sure. And y'all have to get along and y'all have to. I'm like, okay, look, I write something. Hey, I'm going on Ellen DeGeneres. I'm really thankful for Ellen. I love Ellen. I pray for Ellen. We have different worldviews. I don't share all her convictions. She doesn't share mine, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this. That's how I see this of like redeeming the culture. I mean, we're doing it with media right now, like podcasts. That's something they didn't have 50 years ago. And so we're utilizing things that are cultural advancements. Granted, I understand the Grammys or Ellen is different like than that, but these are all cultural elements that we're utilizing. And to me, if they tell you, no, you got to compromise the gospel, um, you have to write something and say that you agree with where our position on whatever this cultural issue is that's antichrist, then there's, that's a difference. Like there's a problem there. Okay, you're saying if you're given the platform and you're giving that opportunity, you should take advantage of it and explicitly say, like explicitly use that opportunity for Christ. Yeah. But if you do take that opportunity and you do take that platform and mm. you don't use that to explicitly use it for Christ, do you think that is like implicit agreement then? So no, so this is this is how I see it. Can be perceived. And you're yeah. just using the well, platform he, for your own gain? Maybe. Look, you read any psychology oh, the motive of the heart. Any psychologist right. worth their salt. People are going to perceive all kinds of crazy right. stuff all the time. And I look at it and go, I may, maybe I'm just different. And once again, I keep going back to our home group because you know this because you've heard me for the last year in our home yeah. group. I just think if you love Jesus, like truly love Jesus and are submitted to the scripture and passionate about the gospel, it's almost, and you're probably going to disagree, it almost doesn't even need to be explicit. It is going to come out. Like it's going to come out. Like every conversation I have is about the kingdom and about mm -hmm. the church and about, I mean, we're talking sports and it comes back to the kingdom and the gospel and the church. And so, yeah, I'm not saying there shouldn't be intentionality when you have those opportunities, but I tend to believe that it would take a lot more intentionality for like somebody who really loves Christ to not to harness themselves to not talk about the mm. kingdom and the gospel because it's our life. It's our lifeblood. Like we, we, you invite me on anything and that's coming out. Like it's just coming out. Like I don't, it would take intentionality for it not to come out. Like I'd have to like check myself and be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And that's compromise. Like that's Convicting. a problem, you know? Yeah. But hey, if we're really like walking with Jesus, we really believe the gospel. And if we're really basking his grace, that's just gonna like pour out of us. What we're, you talk to anybody in the world, what they're passionate about, they talk about. That's just how it is. And so, the, you know, a Christian gets invited on a talk show. That's why I always have problems when a Christian gets invited on a talk show and it doesn't come up or an athlete wins and it doesn't come up. I'm like, how is this, hmm. how legitimate is your faith? Like how, how, how is this supposed to be the most important thing to you in your mm -hmm. life? And yet you're talking about everything else. Or the right. way it's presented, you know? like intentionally mm -hmm. leaves out those portions of the conversation. So to me, like, it should, it should bleed out. Like Spurgeon said, if you cut Bunyan, he would have bled scripture. I feel like that's how Christians should be. We should ooze out Christ, gospel, kingdom, everywhere we go in a non-weird way, but in a very compelling, compelling way, yeah. and passionate way. Our, our boat if you want to liken our lives as Christians as boats, our boat should be in the water, but the water shouldn't be coming in the boat. Mm. The yeah. boat can't just be in like stuck up in a storage unit somewhere 
thinking we're being faithful. That's a good analogy because Christ that followers. First, that first Christ in culture, the boat is up in the storage. Unit. Yeah, and the second one, well, it's not the only boat, up there. The boat is down in the bottom. The, of the boat ocean. hates the water. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, it's a boat. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be in the water. Not, but yeah. water can't be in it, or it's else you yeah. sink. You sink, and you're mm. at the bottom of the ocean. There's no salvation. Yeah. There's yeah. no preservation yeah. anymore. Um, that's and, a helpful yeah. image for me that yeah. we use yeah. a lot at Sunrise on how we're to engage culture. That's great. And yet at the same time, I will say this, I can sit here and I can respect Adam's position and understand it completely mm. because of the nuanced confusion of this conversation when it comes to Maverick City <laughs> or Warren Day or any of that. No, because it is. It's like, it is, it is. It's safer, it is. it's safer to go with that approach because there's no risk of compromise if you just don't go. There's, there's more risk. And I'm not saying that you don't believe this, but Piper said, risk is right. Like I, I want yeah. to risk. I want to take risk if it means that one person or a multitude of people can hear the gospel through yeah. that platform as long as I don't have to compromise my beliefs mm. or, or jive in with the non-redeemed antichrist culture. It's mm. a good conversation. Yeah, certainly. I feel like we should wrap it up by asking how then do we create the holy balance of living in the world but not living like it? So how practically can we redeem culture? I mean, you kind of are getting into it. Like if you are truly filled, it's going to come out. Yeah. Is that how you redeem culture? We have to view it rightly, I think. So maybe even just saying this will make people turn this off. I don't know, but. Say um, it, man. There's, <laughs> Say it. There's a really new helpful book that's put out there that we're going to hopefully be talking about this, this season, Biblical Critical Theory, that has a very loaded title. But they titled that to be, I think, a little cheeky, the sure. authors, to kind of like punch at what's going on in the modern cultural milieu or the landscape of the current world. And so we got to know what culture is. And this, this, this book is seeking to do that. And one of the things why it's so helpful is it continues to remind Christians that the only thing that is fully evil is the devil himself. Everything else besides the devil, has light and beauty within it, even though it might be twisted 99.9%, which means there's a ton of stuff in the world that is redeemable. Because even sin itself is not an entity. It is in not it an is original invention. Is yeah. It is a twisting of what is good. And so the Christian ought to recognize culture. There's so much of it that is not only, not only should be redeemed, but is capable of being redeemed. And so if we view it like that, that the only thing that is holistically evil is the devil himself and maybe all his minions, right? Everything else is fair game to not only investigate, but to examine what is redeemable about this. What are its longings? What are its aspirations? What are its desires? What is beautiful about this in an objective manner that then we can then come along knowing the source of true goodness and truth and beauty and speak into that with hopefully a compelling and a persuasive gospel presentation and say, here's what you're doing, what you're doing. I mean, every sin is an attempt at acquiring true beauty and truth and goodness. What you're doing is you're aiming here when you ought to be doing the same thing, but aiming here. And I think that's what cultural engagement looks like. Like that's more like, I think up upstairs and like the mental faculties, yeah. but that's just a posture of the heart that I think Christians and all our churches ought to have toward the world. So part of answering your question, like what does this actually look like? It looks like having the right view of culture and it looks like seeing that it it is redeemable 
And the only thing that's unredeemable is Satan and all his minions. Mm. Yeah. Is that no, helpful I, to I you? Think, I think it is. I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question from Danny mm. and, you know, how to do this because, you know, questions that we didn't actually get to, but we kind, we kind of surveyed, but is there anything in culture that we should absolutely reject? Absolutely. Evil. Yeah. Anything to sin, anything that's wicked, you have to reject that. Yeah. And a follow-up, it was, is there anything within culture that we should absolutely redeem? Absolutely. I would say everything else. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. everything else I yeah. think we should redeem. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter, yeah. Halloween, uh, yeah. holidays, yeah. events, music. Like we should take that back. Music's not the enemy's tool. It's God's tool. Right. We should take that back. Like yeah. we should redeem that. Holidays are not the devil's idea. Like they're God's idea. Like joy is not the devil's idea. Yeah. It's God. Parties are not the devil's idea. They're God's idea. Feasts. Like, yeah. So, so yeah. all of that should be taken back vigorously, like aggressively. Like we should take it back. I, I look at it and go, how to do this? I, I would say I'm an extremist, right? No surprise there. But I would say engage wholeheartedly while tethering yourself incredibly closely yeah. to scripture, the yeah. church. Engage the world wholeheartedly. Yeah. Engage the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. engage the culture, engage the world wholeheartedly. Yeah. Drive the boat all the way out into the ocean. Get in the middle like, of the ocean. Get in the middle of the ocean, but don't let the water in. By tethering yourself to scripture, yeah. walking in the spirit, praying in the spirit, being in the church. <laughs> like, I mean, that's it. Like, like be in the freaking boat with, I mean, to take the analogy, with brothers and sisters in the boat. You need to be around unbelievers, but you don't need to be around them in isolation. You don't need to get out of the boat to do that. Yeah. Like stay, gonna, stay in the boat. I was going to say you need accountability because if you're going to engage wholeheartedly, there's always a temptation that you're yeah, just going sure. to. This alone. Yeah. Like we yeah. make a podcast and we're like, hope this goes viral for what? You know what I mean? Like yeah. not to become of the culture or right. to seek our own glory within get, the culture, but get, to you can't shine get drunk. light into the darkness. You can't get drunk to engage with the culture. Right. You can't sleep with your boyfriend. To engage with the culture. Right. Yeah. You can't blaspheme God to engage with the culture. So anything right. that's sin, once again, don't don't do it. Don't step out of the boat. Like, don't jump in. Like, stay in the boat. Like, stay anchored in Christ. Don't do that which grieves God. Do that which pleases God while mm. engaging wholeheartedly in what we see around us, much like Daniel did, much like Paul did, much like a guy named Hudson Taylor did. When he, we can go to the master himself. I mean, yeah. there's so much, much like of this. Jesus did. It's so Christ-like. I mean, think about the cultural climate of his day with just how they viewed things that were like, uh, let's say Leviticus, right? The laws about clean and unclean, right? It was mandated that if you touch something that's unclean, you had to like do all these steps and all these rituals and all these ceremonies to get back to the objective state of clean. And then you can enter back into the life of the community. And so naturally by the time the first century comes along and Jesus arrives on the scene, the author, right, walks onto stage and changes everything in the play that is history. And he does something that they don't do. They ostracize the unclean and don't even know you can't touch them. And because if you touch them, you'd get unclean would pass to you. Well, Jesus comes and he touches people and he doesn't get unclean. They get clean. Yeah. And so that's the goal of right. cultural engagement to guard against the uncleanness itself but to be out there touching with the gospel, this is, right? This is figurative. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that the world around us wakes up to the reality of who Jesus is. It's yeah. like in Prince Caspian at the end when Aslan wakes the forest mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everything in Narnia starts coming to life again. And all those that were 
blind to it and deaf to it and just couldn't even understand this were like, this is what it's supposed to have been yeah. like all along. Yeah. Mm. Right? God, like, like, through a, the gospel, like what, yeah. is waking up the world right like, now. What a testament if like the world could say that mm. because of the church. Yeah. <laughs> This is what it was supposed to be like. All well, yeah, we you know, pray right? for that. See the beauty. Work for yeah, that. Like, not just feel the judgment from yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and it's not take work to do that. But it is. They're not feel the judgment at times because mm -hmm. we don't approve of everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yet we don't approve of it because we're actually seeing, seeking absolute beauty, right. which is glory, which yeah. is, you know. And so that's important. I mentioned Hudson Taylor. I've mentioned him preaching before. He was a he was the founder of the China Inland Mission. If you know Great. the story, it's compelling. He went to China for a couple of years. shook the world. He, he went to China for a couple of years and had no converts, like no movement. And one day he just said, you know, I'm going to grow my hair long, like, yep. the, like mm -hmm. the Chinese people. Yep. I'm going to set aside my British suits and I'm going to put on the attire. I'm going to eat what they eat. I'm going to read what they read. I'm going to listen to the music they listen to while still be passionately devoted to Jesus. And the China Inland Mission was born and literally tens of thousands of people converted under that ministry by the power of the gospel. Yeah. But yet, because a guy said, hey, it's not, I'm going to defer and I'm going to drive out into the middle of the ocean and I'm going to engage um, on their level in a language that they understand while clinging ardently to the gospel. I mean, that's where it is. Mm. And so it's going to take wisdom. It's going to take insight. Who's doing this modern day that's a good example for us and for listeners to... Carl Lenz. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wrong. Danny. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, uh, I think Apologia Studios. Um, okay. In some respects, I mean, they're very engaged, like, in the political realm. You know, and no, nobody, in my opinion, look, I have, I have opinions. And so I don't know if there's anybody I would look at and be like, they're doing it perfectly because I just have differences of opinion. But I look at Jeff Durbin and Apologia Studios and I see what they're doing in the media realm and I see what they're doing in the apologetic realm and I see how they're engaging in community and in service. And, you know, that's, that's one that would kind of come to mind for me anyway. Hmm. I mean, is there somebody who comes to mind for you? Keller. Yeah. Tim, Tim Keller is, I think, the leading figure in our day of trying to do this, which I think puts him in the kind of position... I think Keller is the modern day C.S. Lewis because Lewis was trying That's to do this. Peterson. Wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I think Lewis was trying to do this in his own time with his works and things like yeah. this. Yeah. And I think Keller is a modern day Lewis in this regard. And his writing, I mean, Gospel Coalition just began the Tim Keller Center on cultural apologetics yeah. for this exact purpose. He wrote a book called Center Church that's really good yeah. in this regard. Like, and loving the city. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's very yeah, those two things. Um, Austin Stone is one out in, in Austin. Okay. The band? That, um, or well, the church? The, the band comes from the church. Oh, yeah. And, and obviously, yeah. There, there's there'll be things with Keller or Austin Stone I don't agree with when it right. comes to certain, and certain elements Durbin or shades too. of social yeah. justice or whatever. Yeah. But that still doesn't mean that they have failed. Like they've really sought the renewal of their city, the reviving mm -hmm. of their city um, of Austin that beauty would go forward there in Austin. And so like, I look at people like that from what I know. Um, and I think they're, you know, they're doing it. They're doing it well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. let's Amen. just all try to do that. Yeah. It Thanks is. for tuning in for episode one of season four. Welcome to season four. We're excited. We got some good stuff on tap this season. So the doctor will be with us some. Have to depart a little bit. Over but I'll be here. With us some, mm. And I'll be here all the time. So <laughs> looking forward to it guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. 
You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.